Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Man, if you have a copy of God's Word today, of the Bible, uh, whether you brought a physical Bible or a cell phone or tablet, feel free to get that out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, That's where we're going to be hanging out at today. There's also a place on those response cards. The reason I bring it up again uh, is because there's a place on those cards for you to take notes today. And man, I want to encourage you, if you're here today, that's one way that we fight against consumerism in the church. That's one way that we fight against making this church service like a movie that you come to is by participation. And I know it's real easy during the music, right? Because you can sing or lift your hands or just think about the words, right? But during the message, sometimes it's hard because you're just like, dance, puppet. Like, let's do this, you know, like put on a show. And uh, the fact is, I'm not that good. I'm not that funny. So taking notes will really help you out, all right? Um, And so I want to encourage you guys to take notes, not because I have anything good to say today, but because God's word is the word of God today, and we believe he has something awesome uh, to say to us today. So, uh, man, I'm going to be really uh, distracted. There's like a cute baby right here in my eyelids. Uh, sit down, sit down. <laughs> That's a new dad, everybody. Uh, hey, uh, but uh, anyway, so I want to encourage you guys to take notes today, and uh, here's what we're going to do. So we're going to walk through some of God's word. Um, last week, we spent some time talking about what are the qualifications for someone to be a leader in God's church. And we talked about how those qualifications in the beginning part of chapter three weren't just for leaders, but they were actually really good character uh, qualities for everybody that follows Jesus. Um, And so we got a chance to talk about that last week. So I'm not going to go back through that, but Paul kind of continues his letter to Timothy uh, in first Timothy chapter three, talking more about, okay, so that's for leaders, but how should everybody act in the church? Like what should that look like? And so if you're taking notes, I, I just want you to Uh, write this down. This is kind of a phrase that we want to cling to today is this. Church is a family. Church is a family. I believe with all of my heart, like there are so many different analogies we could use to talk about what the church is, right? A lot of people, when they think about the church, maybe you think about an organization or maybe you're a business person and, and you think of, you know, a church is like, oh, you run that just like a business. Or maybe you're involved in a lot of civic organizations and things like that. And so you think, oh yeah, I'm a part of, you know, the Rotary Club and I'm a part of the Lions Club and, I, and I'm a part of the Impact Church. And it just kind of becomes part of your charitable, you know, service. And a lot of times people think about the church that way, but um, there's a lot of definitions for the church. But today I want you to write this one down. Church is the family of God. Church is the family of God. And uh, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Under that, you can put an asterisk if you're taking notes, and you can write this. um, Church is the asterisk awkward family of God. Yeah, just put the word awkward embrace it, all right? Because here's the fact. Every, and I just want to set some of you free today. Man, we're about to have some, I'm about to set you free today. Listen to me. Everybody has an awkward family. Everybody. Hey, your family's here today. You don't need to be amen. I heard the most amens from people that brought their family today. 
<laughs> I'm sure they're talking about the, the ones who aren't here. Listen, I, everybody, like I, I, because here's the deal, like so many times we run our life as if we are the only ones with that weird uncle we hope nobody ever meets, right? Just me. I'm the only one with the weird uncle. All right. So, so, yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you, sister. All right. So, listen, like, I know, I know, like, we all have awkward families. Maybe you say weird families. In fact, I went and did some research for you because I love you. Because I love you, I wanted you to see. And I want you to leave here today going, you know what? It could be worse. It could always get worse. I brought some, some pictures uh, just to illustrate the point of an awkward family. Um, here's the first one up here. I don't know if you guys can see that. Guys, that's a real family photo right there. Where are my people who remember the days of getting your family portrait at, at J.C. Penney or Olin Mills? Oh, okay. All right, you'd go into a studio, but then, like in the late 80s, early 90s, they got really fancy, and they said, you know what, we can... We can put people's pictures in the background of family photos. So um, I don't know what's like better, the fur coat or the suspenders, um, or just dad looking off into the distance. Let's take a look at another uh, awkward family photo here. Um, this is really great because the dog gets center stage. Like it's not like the dog is the one looking over the family, but it's the it's the dog. I'm guessing mom and dad, who mom looks really happy and dad looks like where when did we get the dog? Or there yet, why is the dog wearing a sunflower uh, dress or whatever that is? Go to the next uh, awkward family photo. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is fantastic. Because here's the deal, we don't even have to pay J.C. Penney for this photo anymore. Because if you got kids, especially a baby, I guarantee you, especially the moms in the house, you got a picture like this of one of your kids uh, freaking out while you're trying to be all sweet and stuff. The thing is, that's not even the baby's not even mad. It's just legitimately terrified. All right, go go to the next awkward family photo. I, yeah, I know. Listen, I thought. I thought, you know, I really shouldn't bring this picture to church. But, you know, if we can't talk about it at church, where can we talk about it at? I think they're trying to be Mary and Joseph. Like, I think that that's what's happening here. And uh, I just want to say, uh, man, extra bonus points if any of you send me your Christmas card next year and it looks like this, all right? I'll even lend you my dog. The dog's eyes, y'all. Do y'all see that? All right, go to the next. I think, okay, this is my favorite one. Uh, because I think... I th <laughs> I, th I think the intentions were good. Like, I think it started off with, like, really good intentions, and then little Johnny turned into a psychopath in the, right there in real time at the Olin Mill studio. It's fantastic. Um, I think they're just showing off their sports, but uh, little Johnny's about to get them some. All right. Hey, listen, here, here's the, you can take those down. Here's the truth. Guys, all of us, all of us have an awkward family. In the church of God, listen, we are a family, but it's okay to admit we're somewhat of an awkward family because the reason we're a family is that, is that we are all brought together by only one thing. Like, we are not all here together in this room today on a random Sunday morning because we all like the same sports or because we all share the same hobbies or we all studied the same thing in school or we all work the same occupation. No, no, no. See, we are all here today because we believe 
believe in Jesus Christ. Like we believe that Jesus is alive. And that one truth has brought people from many different backgrounds, many different countries and nations, different languages that are spoken, like different backgrounds, different occupations, different interests, different hobbies that would like we would never find ourselves in a room together under any other circumstance than that of Jesus, right? Right? Okay, don't be passionate about it. All right, I've, maybe we'd like each other. I don't know. But the fact is, like, because of that, sometimes things get a little awkward. But here's what I know it's okay to be awkward because Jesus has saved us. Like, Jesus is at the center of our, even our awkwardness. So even when you come into church and think, well, I'm not going to fit in, or everybody's like this, or everybody's like that. Like, I think one thing that destroys cliques, especially in the family of God, is knowing that everybody's awkward. Everybody brings in their own, like, you think you're normal, but everybody is awkward to somebody right? Like you're not, okay, so listen to me. Here's what I want to dispel though, because when I look around the world today, especially over the last few years, here's what I've learned, some people's definition of churches, and not even, not, I'm not even talking about non-Christians. I'm not, any, I'm talking about like even Christians, I think would define the church in two ways. Number one, they would define the church as optional, that the church is optional, that, that it's, it's something that you can do, but you don't have to do because your salvation is not dependent on it. And I, we believe that, but we would look at it as optional. Like being a part of church is optional, especially now because we can, you know, live stream, we can do all this stuff. So showing up to church is just something I can do like as an option. And that's how we would define it. Um, a second definition that I think a lot of people are defining church with right now is um, irrelevant, irrelevant. Okay, maybe the church isn't optional, but the church is, is definitely not relevant to anything, right? So there's some people who think the church is not relevant to the world today, that the world has moved on, the church is 50, 60 years in the past, doesn't matter. Um, but there are even Christians, like people who think, man, why would I bother coming to church because it's, it's not going to be relevant to me. Like, it's not going to make a difference in my life. Like, I'm going through things. And, um, and let me tell you something. Like, church itself is not going to make a difference in your life. But let me tell you something. When the church is getting it right and putting Jesus at the center and Jesus Christ is high and lifted up, man, the blood of Jesus will cover every messed up thing in your life today. Like, I fully believe that. And so here's what we want to do today. Today, we want to, we want to kind of go against those other definitions. of. And maybe if you're here today and you're going, Brandon, yeah, there are times I think church is just optional, like I'll make it when I can or, or whatever. Like, I want you to remember this. The church is a family, right? I don't go home to my family and, and say, well, you know, my wife would love to have me home today, but if I don't make it, it's no big deal. Like, I would never do, like, I'd be in so much trouble, you know? Like, like that, that's not optional. Um, and so I want us to think about that. So let's dive in today, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read through this. I'm going to make some notes. We are going to read a lot, but I'm going to try to speed through it, uh, which is why I've had my extra cup of coffee today, all right? So I'm going to try to speed through it, put this podcast on uh, double time, and try to get through it today, because after the message, uh, then we're going to call uh, Wes and Britter up, and we're going to lay hands on Wes and officially ordain him as an elder of Impact Church, all right? So 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse Verse 14, if you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. 
Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So I want to just stop right there because that is a theme verse. I think it is probably the theme verse for all of 1 Timothy. So if you're just in a, in a mood for a tattoo today, if you like need something like that, all right, this is your moment, all right, I highly recommend uh, this verse. But listen, like I want you to highlight and underline that verse because um, in verse 15, like Timothy says, he's writing to the church and says, the reason I'm writing this, the whole point of this is so that you guys know how to behave in the household of God. The household, meaning it is a family. God is the father. He is in charge, and we are all gathered together as his children. And sometimes, uh, when I've got, I've got three kids of my own, and sometimes i got to lay down some ground rules. i got to say, guys, for you to function like as a fully functioning member of this household, here are some things you need to know. Like, here are some things of how things are going to go, right? And so that's what, that's what the Bible's doing for us. It's showing us. And so he says this, like, I want you know how to behave in the household of God? And then listen to how he calls the church. He says, um, which is the church that is optional and irrelevant. No, he doesn't say that. Listen to how he, listen to how the Bible describes the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Like guys, that definition, that's who we are. That's what we're doing here today. Like, we're not just stuck in a rut, like hanging out at church, doing our thing, crossing off our list. Like, we are worshiping a living God. We're not paying homage to a religion of the past. When we worship God, He hears us and responds to us. Did you know that's what's happening in this room today? Like, that is amazing. That is awesome. And so, guys, like, I want you to see, though, where this is coming from. Because he, he talks about the church being like a pillar, right? A, a pillar and a, uh, that word just means like a stronghold of the truth, right? Um, and so I want you to see like what he would have been talking about. In Ephesus, there was a giant temple um, uh, they called the Temple of Diana. Uh, basically, it had a statue of the goddess Diana there that people would travel around. It's actually one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I think I brought a picture. Uh, yeah, there it is uh, right there. So uh, this is um, uh, not a, obviously uh, taken since it was a long time ago, but this is kind of what it would have looked like in its heyday. So when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, this is what it would have looked like this is what would have been happening, except there probably would have been hundreds of people in the courtyard gathered around going, not as tourists to take pictures, but as worshipers to go worship. And so isn't it interesting that Paul says, you are a household of God, you are a family of God, but let me tell you the difference between what you do and what these guys are doing in Ephesus. The difference is, number one, you have a living God. So like the goddess Diana, she's made out of stone. And when the people call out to her, she does not answer them. You have a living God that is living and active in your heart and in your soul. And when you call out to him, he hears you and responds to you. Like, so first of all, you are not the church like any other organization or any other religion in the world. You are set apart because your God is living. But then he says, you're a pillar of truth. You are a pillar and a stronghold of truth. This is God's truth. 
And man, at a day when truth is being challenged like anything right now, like we've just gotten rid of the word truth. We, we, we're not even comfortable. Our society's not even comfortable with the word truth anymore. So now we just add like his truth or your truth or my truth or your truth or everybody's truth. Or like that, we're not even comfortable with just the word truth anymore. Paul says, no, what makes you set apart is you have a living God and you are the pillar of truth. Like if that pillar gets knocked down, the whole thing comes crumbling down. Like, listen to me, that's how important what we're doing here is. That's how important ordaining elders is. That's how important starting new churches is, is that God has ordained the church to be the pillar of truth for our culture. Like that's who we are. Man, this is, this is an, oh, put that uh, picture back up. Um, I appreciate it. So, so there was a, it was an amazing structure but there were, um, if you count the, the things, it was built with 127 columns. 127 columns. To put it into perspective for you, the Lincoln Memorial has 36. Okay? And the Lincoln Memorial, you guys ever been? Raise your hand if you've been to the Lincoln Memorial. Okay, well, you guys get out. I'm proud of you. So listen, like the Lincoln Memorial was built to model the Temple of Diana. Like a lot of Roman architecture was used in Washington, D.C. And so they used a lot of this type of stuff to model a lot of what's built in Washington, D.C. And so the Lincoln Memorial, but I want you to see it. We're talking like this temple was like five, six times bigger than the Lincoln Memorial was. And so don't think of like, don't even think of a little puny pillar that's holding Lincoln up. All right. In Washington, D.C. Think of something 10 times the size. And Paul, the Bible says, that's what we are for the truth of God. Isn't that amazing? Man, let's keep reading verse 16. Paul says, uh, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Oh, listen to this church. He was manifested in the flesh. He's talking about Jesus. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Man, how many of you know that's a beautiful verse? Like that is telling us who Jesus is. And so Paul is like, hey, if you're wondering, because some of you might even be like, okay, Brandon, I'm cool. Like we're the family of the living God. We're a pillar of truth. But what is truth? Verse 16 is the truth. So if you're wondering like, okay, Brandon, what is the truth that I'm supposed to be holding up? What, what is the truth? Because th that we as Impact Church were started here in Fredericksburg for like, what is that truth? Well, the truth is this, that he was, Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world, and he was taken up in glory. This is who Jesus is. That is the truth that we are called to protect. But before that, Paul says, there's a mystery of godliness. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Like, what is godliness? Because we use that word a lot, right? That's a godly woman. That's a godly man, especially people. Um, I hear this all the time when I'm talking to somebody who's like just dating someone or they're like about to get in a relationship or they want to get in a relationship. And I'm asking them, like, what are you looking for? And I always hear like, you know, I just want a godly man. I want a godly man. I, want to, I just want to find a godly woman. And then I have to ask, well, what does that mean? Like, what, is, what, what do you mean you want a godly man or a godly Like, what does that mean? Because we can all have different definitions, right? We just throw that word out. Let me tell you what I think godliness means in Scripture. A godly person is a person saturated in God. 
saturated in God. I'm talking like a sponge that you set down in the sink of your kitchen and run the water so that it's just pounding on that sponge and walk away for about three days. That is what I'm talking about. Someone who just sits and soaks in the presence of God in their life through reading the word, through prayer, through worshiping, through serving in God's church and in the community. Like This is the type of person that is a godly person. And, um, and this is important because the word godliness is used nine times in this book. Like in the book of 1 Timothy, he refers to godliness nine times. And so this is who we're supposed to be as the church, guys. So I know I used a dating analogy, but here's the deal. We all are supposed to be godly people. Like, God, like looking for someone godly is not just like, you know, going on like a, you know, an exploration, trying to find someone that you can link arms with that's worthy enough, okay? Like the bottom line is in the church, we should all be walking worthy enough. But the fact is, sometimes we miss the mark, right? Sometimes we don't walk worthy. And I want you to hear that like Paul is telling us that, man, this is, who our, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came because sometimes we're not going to be godly. Sometimes our character isn't gonna, is going to miss the mark. And when that happens, Jesus gives us grace and he literally changes our heart. See, grace without change is cheap grace. You don't want grace without change because grace without change just lets you keep going down the path of destruction. And that might be grace, but it's not love. See, you want, you want the grace that is expensive, that costs Jesus his blood and his life, and that grace forgives, but it changes. It sets us on a course towards eternal life, being godly. All right, let's keep, uh, keep going here. So, so that's, that's the first couple of verses there, and that is who we are as a church. That is who the Bible says that we are. I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, that's the vision of Impact Church. Who cares what the vision of Impact Church is? That's who we are. That's our identity. Our identity is what we just read. So now, what are we supposed to do about it, right? Because vision is worthless if we don't have a mission, right? And so because now we have a vision of who we're supposed to be as a church from God's word, then what does that cause us to do? So let's flip over to chapter 4 or scroll down to chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm just going to read some, and this is going to tell us now because of who we are as the church, what are we supposed to do as a church? 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. Great. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insanity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Aren't you glad? And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. All right. Now, there's a lot of cultural things and contextual things that are happening in this passage. I'll try to point out a couple of them, but for lack of time, I'm not going to be able to get to every single one of them. But um, the first thing he's doing here is saying, hey, one of the first things you as a church have to do is defend against false teachers. Like you got to defend the truth against false teachers. And false teachers are sneaky, man. They're people who like you listen to them and they're saying all the right things. Like everything looks legit. But then when you start to hear something, they'll say something that literally goes totally against the gospel, right? And some of these people, yes, are outside the church, 
Well, let me tell you something. Most of them are inside the church. Most of them are people teaching these false teachings, right? Um, because here's the deal. A false teacher is not going to get up and announce themselves. Hey, guys, welcome to Impact. I'm Pastor Brandon. I'm a false teacher here at Impact Church, and we are so glad that you're here. Like, that's not going to happen, all right? That's why they're, they're sneaky, all right? Um, and, and so this is what Paul is, is talking about. And he, and he says, though, this is going to happen in later times. And so a lot of people read this, and they go, well, this is going to happen in the end times, and we're not there yet. Hey, let me tell you, this was written 2,000 years ago, all right? I think that's later, all right? Like, I think 2,000, like, I may say, I'll get with you later, and I might mean five minutes. So 2,000 years is probably later days, all right? But you need to understand that anytime the word end times is used in the Bible or the later days, it's talking about the time period between when Christ went back to heaven and the time Christ is coming back to earth. All right. It's kind of like my neighbor when COVID first hit, it was the first week of COVID and uh, he wouldn't like, you know, everybody was like running. We lived in a townhouse. Everybody's running from their cars to their houses, you know, so we didn't like look at each other. And, and so he was, he was, and I, so I was running to my house and, uh, and he walked out and he kept, yeah, Brandon, Brandon. And I'm like ignoring him, you know, cause I'm like, gosh, I hope the wind doesn't blow his you know, stuff on me. And so I'm like running in and finally I look around. He goes, Brandon. And I said, yeah. He goes, hey, you're a pastor. I got to ask you a question. I said, what? And he said, are we living in the end times? And I was like, we're about to do this right now in my front yard. Like this is how this is going down. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, bro. Yeah, we are. And I closed the door and I went inside. I, and then we moved two months later. So I have no idea. Like, you know, we're probably, uh, he's like, man, they really went off the grid. You know, like, I don't know. Um, but the fact is, like, this is the end time. We don't know how long it's going to last, but that's where we're at, all right? And listen, a lot of times we may say, oh, there's no, there's no false teachings at Impact Church. There's no false teachings in Fredericksburg. I even have people tell me, oh, you're moving to Fredericksburg. Yeah, it's the Bible Belt, man. I'm like, yeah, come spend some time with me. Like, let's figure that out. So listen, like, but there are false teachings in Northern Virginia. There are false teachings in our culture, but they look deceptive. They look like things like, hey, your religion is enough. Oh, you go to church on Sundays, that's fine. You'll go to heaven, you, it's fine. And the fact is, no, you can show up to church every day of your life for your whole life and still never follow Jesus. Uh, we hear things like, hey, listen, God's word is great, but it's an old book and it was written a long time ago and, and some of it is contextual and, you know, just, just I, take it with a grain of salt and only accept the parts that make sense to you. It's a real thing, isn't it? We, how about this false teaching? Hey, um, money, a good job, a good education, getting the right degrees, um, landing the right type of job, that is all you need to be sufficient for life. God will bless everything else. It's a false teaching. How about this one? Man, any religion can get you to heaven. Like, like we're all religions, we're all one, and we need to be unified together around that. And, and let me tell you something, like I do, I do love people from all religions. Like we may even have some people here today who are from different religions. We've had people from different religions visit our church. And here's what I tell you, man, I love you so much, and I'm here offering to you the missing puzzle piece of your life. Because I believe every religion is looking for Jesus. Every, every religion. And we're no better because we found him. We just have him and offer him to you as a gift to fulfill the puzzle that you're trying to put together in your life. 
Listen, Paul is obviously addressing specific situations here, right? He talks about marriage. Like, the fact is, some people were getting up at the church at Ephesus, and they were like, no, you can't get married. No, you can't get married. No, you can't get... Like, they were putting all these stipulations on people. You had to jump through all these hoops and do all these things to get married that God never did, right? The other thing is, they were keeping people from eating certain foods. Now, before you come at me about the fast that we did a couple of weeks ago, I did not make you do that, all right? Like, that was completely volunteered. But no, it was more stuff like they were saying, hey, listen, you can do that, but you can't eat these foods and you can't eat this and can't eat that. And, um, and so, man, the fact is like there were false teachers then and there are false teachers. And one of the things we do as the church, as the pillar of truth, is we protect. But let me encourage you how to protect. Protect with passion in love. Because if you go off on someone and don't practice love, then you are just as false of a teacher as the person coming at the truth. So if we're protecting the truth, but we're not loving about it, then we are also adding into the false teachings. All right, let's keep reading verse 6. Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So Paul is basically telling them, hey, you're supposed to talk about these things, which is hard because I'm going to be honest with you. There's like things even I've said today that I'm like, ah, I like normally I wouldn't preach on that on a Sunday. But the fact is we're going through the book of 1 Timothy. And if I skip a verse, you're going to be like, mm -mm -mm, he skipped it. Like, so we have to go through it. All right. Um, and so, but Paul says, this is good. Talk about the Bible. Don't be ashamed of the Bible. Don't be scared of the Bible. It is good for us. Like every good thing comes from God, right? And that what this passage says is that everything God has created is good, right? Um, and that includes his word. All right, let's go to verse seven. Verse seven says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself for, somebody say that word, godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And here's why I, here's why I hear Paul saying here. It's like, hey, if you're going to commit your life to something, if you're going to put your energy towards something, if you only have so much time in a day or so much physical stamina to give, give it towards getting close to God. Like, give that energy, give that time, give those resources, give it to saturating yourself with the presence of God. And he says, because those other things, they're not bad, but they're going to pass away. But the presence of God will remain forever. All right, let's uh, pick up in verse 12. I skipped a couple of verses. I'm going to come back to them, just seeing if anybody was going to notice. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. So the cool thing is, like, I don't know if anybody else grew up in church, but um, I grew up in church, going to church, and so this was like every, when I was growing up, this was every teenager's life verse, all right? Like, um, this is how I knew you grew up in the 90s youth group, is if you have this tattooed on your ankle. Like, I know that. Um, I, I, I see it, right? So, like, the fact is, like, this was my life verse, but that was my life verse when I was, like, 14, 15, 16. Used it as a rally cry, right? To be like, hey, you can't look down on me. The Bible says, mom, you know, and then again, in big trouble, right? Like, and so, so it didn't really work out for me. But here's the deal. Timothy is not 14. Timothy, we think he's about 30 years old. Some people say late 20s. Some people say mid 30s. So let's just round it and say he's about 30 years old at the time. 
Well, first of all, I was thrilled to hear someone in their 30s was considered young. I was like, really? Like, praise the Lord. Thank you. I love God's word. I love God's word. So, like, I, you know, we know that. But, but listen, like, a lot of times when we think about doing something great for God, a lot of times we think it has to be someone older. We think that it has to be someone that has enough experience or someone that has enough money or somebody that has enough resources, or someone that has a big enough house, or someone that has all of this stuff. And I just want to set the record straight. Like, like when, when we're talking about a great revival, every great revival that's ever happened in our country for the last several hundred years has started among youth groups and college-aged people. Every great historic revival. That's why when they're like, college campuses, I'm like, yeah, don't you read like church history, like that's always where God's presence lands. And let me tell you why I think that is. The reason I think that is, is because God knows that young people will actually do everything he says to do. The fact is, my life has gotten complicated. I, babe, please hold it together, (laughs) please. I know this isn't my therapy session, but please hold it together, all right? My life has gotten complicated, when we first got, um, you know, when I first got called to move to Virginia and leave everything I knew from Mississippi and move to Virginia to be a youth pastor, I knew nobody. But you know what? I was 24 and single. I was like, man, what an adventure. Let's do this, God. I'm ready. And then um, when I was 26 and it was time to go plant a church, I was going to marry Ellen. And all I had to do was say, Ellen, you want to? She was like, heck yeah. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I had a little bit more to think about. But then to plant this church, Man, I had, I had a church I'd pastored for eight years. I had a wife that I'd been married to for nine years, ten years. I don't know. I, and, and we had three kids and a dog. All things that I didn't have the first time I said yes to God when he called me to do a scary step of faith. And so you know what? It may have taken me a little bit longer. Now, I praise God that he led us and, to do this. But I'm just letting you know that it would have been really easy to never even consider it. Because I would have looked at my circumstances and said, that is a young man's game. Church, listen to me. A lot of the reasons that we get bypassed, for young, that older people get bypassed for younger people, is because younger people, I don't know whether they're just full of faith or dumb, but they'll actually say yes. And that, Paul says, use that as a model for all of the older people in the church. Because the last thing I'd want you to do is walk out being like, oh, good, at least Brandon validated my fears. No, I'm telling you the fears are real, but they don't count. Like, you still got to do what God's called you to do. Don't miss out on a revival because you've disqualified yourself because you're married. Or you've disqualified yourself because you have kids. Or you've disqualified yourself because you're only three years away from retirement. And that just wouldn't be a smart move to do that. Like, do not disqualify yourself from what God is calling you to do. All right, let's finish this part up. Look at verse 13 with me. So Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. Listen to this. When the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's what we're about to do today. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, um, I love this because this is what God says, like, 
right here in verse 16. He says, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. He's not saying that, okay, Timothy, if you'll just keep preaching and be faithful, then you'll be saved. No, he says, you've already been saved by the blood of Christ, by God's grace and your faith. Like, you've already been saved, but listen, you will demonstrate your salvation. You will show, because remember earlier in chapter 3 we read, there were a lot of people leaving the faith. There were a lot of people going, man, this got too hard. This got too awkward. This got too weird. They didn't have my preferences. I didn't like their style of music. I didn't like the Timothy style of preaching. Like, I, and so they just departed from the faith doing their own thing. And Paul says, no, you stay faithful. And by staying faithful, you will show everyone the salvation of Jesus. He says, and, and by your faithfulness to continue to uphold the truth and teach the truth, not only will you show that you're really saved, that you are following Jesus, but many people from the nations will also get saved because of your commitment to the truth. And I, so I want to say this. I said this, um, uh, something similar. I'm not going to, just for uh, sake of it being personal between Ellen and I, I said something personal like this in this vein to Ellen whenever we got engaged. Um, but I, I believe, and I'll say it here to you, something similar to you and even to Wes as he gets ready to be ordained today, um, is listen, my desire in my heart is that because we planted this church, because you are helping plant, like we are all planting this church together because of this, that many people from all over the nations are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like had we not done this, that there might have been people who never may have heard the good news of Jesus. And so I believe your faithfulness to help start this church is not just good for you. I believe it is good for the nations. I believe it's good for Fredericksburg, but I believe God has bigger plans than that. And I will say the same thing to you, Wes, and you, church. Us ordaining an elder today is not just about in-house business. The more leaders we have as a church, the greater impact we can have in Fredericksburg and the nations. This is a step to the vision of changing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I believe that. So I want to go back to um, the verses that I skipped. First Timothy chapter 4, and let's go back up to verse 9. I just want to read verses 9 and 10. And it says this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive. Because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Church, listen to me. Anytime the Bible says this is trustworthy and should get full acceptance, you should underline the next verse, okay? In this verse, he says, to this end we toil. Let me tell you something, man. Planting a church is hard. Wes, being an elder is hard. Like, these things are not always easy. They're not always comfortable. You go, man, I'm coming to a church. I could have just gone to a church and just sat back, and nobody would have known I was here, and I wouldn't have been challenged, but I would have felt good. You know, like, we, like we have these, like, sometimes being a part of starting a new church and making disciples and evangelizing lost and doing this, like, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. And so Paul says, if you want to make sure you don't give up, then don't forget the end. Don't forget what you want to see at the end. And he tells us, the Savior of all people. 
Guys, that's what happens at the end, is all the nations hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, it's hard, and on days when you go, man, I was in kids' ministry, and it's just a labor of love, but it is a labor to hang out there. It is when you come in, you go, man, i got to wake up early, and i got to help set these drapes up and sound stuff. It is a labor of love, but it is a labor. Listen, church, listen to me. This is why we toil, not so that we can have this church. We toil for the salvation of all the nations. And when you have that goal in your mind, it makes it a lot easier to say yes to what God is calling you to right now. But if you just take what God's calling you to, you go, that's hard. Like the disciples, they would look at Jesus and go, that is a hard teaching. Like we would look at God and go, that is hard. I do not like that. And then we may go do whatever we want, right? But listen, when you know the end result is the salvation of of your neighbors, of Northern Virginia, and of all the nations, then you can say yes to what God puts in front of you. Because you know that's why we toil. And I love that Paul didn't say, for to this end we might toil. He said, there ain't no might to it. Serving Jesus some days is hard. Every day is worth it. But some days are just hard. And he says, man, read the Bible and know this. But man, I want you to know that there are millions of people in the D.C. area. Millions of people in the D.C. area. Out of almost 8 million people, only 10% claim that they are Christian in the D.C. area. Okay, That doesn't mean they are. It just means they filled out the survey and said, yes, I am. One out of ten in a city of almost eight million people. Then you look at, and listen, all, of, like, all those people, they have no idea what the family of God looks like. They don't know. And if they did know and they left, maybe they didn't receive a biblical image of what the family of God looks like. Maybe they received an abusive image of what the family of God looks like. Guys, there are hundreds of thousands. I know all these zeros like are hard to compute, but hundreds of thousands of people within driving distance to where we are right now that have no clue what a healthy family of God looks like. Like hundreds of thousands could have driven here this morning who don't have any vision or visual of what a healthy family of God looks like. And ultimately... These, all these zeros represent souls of people who have names, who will spend forever somewhere. And what if we have been put here in this time, in this moment of history, to bring a little bit more hope to these souls that belong to people who have names, who will spend eternity somewhere? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.